Good evening, ASI family. It is my distinct and real privilege to invite to ASI tonight my friend Bill Knott, who is presently serving as editor of the Adventist Review. We are grateful for his service, and he has uh, the privilege also on Sabbath evening of bringing our keynote address. But tonight we're going to talk about the Adventist Review. And Bill, can I ask you some questions? You may, in fact. Uh, the Adventist Review is one of the longest published papers in the Adventist Church. What role has it played as the church has developed? I, I was trying to describe not long ago the role of the Adventist Review as sort of being the, the center pole of the Adventist Church for the last 161 years. It's where you go to get the best information, to get doctrinal materials, to read about mission. It's a place of gathering. It always has been in the life of the church. We see ourselves as committed to the central core, not only of the teaching of Adventism, but of the people of Adventism. My wife and I happened to have the privilege of being at GC a few weeks ago. And uh, every morning when we came down that long walkway from the hotel to the meeting, there would be young folks handing out flyers that showed us what happened. And most of the days, there was a new edition of the Adventist Review. How in the world did you manage that logistically? Well, that was, that's one of the things we spend five years getting ready to do. When you try to turn out a 32-page four-color magazine every 24 hours for about eight days, the challenges, especially when your publishing house is about 700 miles away, are immense. Every day we would send the content digitally to Hagerstown, Maryland and the Review and Herald Publishing Association about 6 p.m. They would plate it and print it and bind it and box it and put it on a private charter plane by 2.30 in the morning in Hagerstown. It would arrive in Atlanta at 5 and it was sitting on the table of the steering committee by 6.30 a.m. when we walked in for breakfast. I have to admit that was one of those moments that a huge team of people contributed to. I have said, and I will say again publicly, an enormous thanks to the good folks at the Review and Herald who made that possible by literally staying up all night. Now, I believe you're rolling out some of those issues to regular subscribers, aren't you, too? I think I've seen them in the mail. In fact, all eight special daily bulletins are in addition to the normal 36 that you get in an annual subscription in 2010 and in every GC year. Now, Bill, you're an editor, right? Yes. And that means you make some uh, decisions. Do you print everything that comes to you, or do you exert some kind of editorial prerogative? I don't want to discourage people by giving away the actual percentage of what we, we print of what comes in the mail. But I can tell you that we look at every article with a point of view that asks, how will this build up God's people? How will it teach them? How will it instruct them? How will it encourage them? If it doesn't pass those tests, we thank the authors and send it back. But if it meets those tests, we publish those things, working carefully with authors to make sure that the impact of the ideas the Lord gave them really get communicated and to the church. Do you believe that your policy as you apply it today is representative of mainline traditional Seventh-day Adventists? Absolutely. Beliefs? We're committed to those values as persons, as an editorial team. We take counsel regularly with the leadership of the church, both lay and administrative, trying to make sure that we stay on balance, that we stay focused on the mission of the church that we know to be central. Uh, I have seen in our local conference paper that you were a speaker at one of our camp meetings. You're out on the circuit. You're on TV. Why are you out so much, out and about? One of the things you have to do when you edit a magazine in, the, in today's culture is help people understand what value it has for their lives. 
I, look at, I get to look people in the eye and say, you read this magazine, your faith will be strengthened. You read this magazine, you're going to fall more in love with Jesus. Read this magazine, your children are going to grow up maturing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This evening when you walk out of here, you're going to get your own copy at the door. Test that out. See if I'm telling the truth. My wife and I read the uh, letters to the editor, some, some of the more interesting conversation or uh, points of view are, are expressed there. Sometimes it's back and forth, sometimes it's not always commendatory, sometimes it's, it's uh, critical. Uh, do you have any uh, particular themes of letters or particular experiences with letters that you'd like to share? A lot of our writers send very encouraging notes. And if we printed all those, everyone would think we're only about self-congratulation. What you read in the letters section of the Adventist Review is frequently just a sampling, usually reacting to the content of previous issues. Most of the time, people write us to say, do more of this, print more of that kind of thing. Sometimes we have honest voices who say, I don't think you got it right here. We listen carefully to those. And if you're one of those who's written a letter, we try to respond to your letter personally, as well as publish the most useful ones that we think the church is going to be helped by. Would you be willing to let us take a handful here of how many people read and or subscribe to the review? Is that a dangerous You're welcome thing? to do it. In fact, I hope more hands keep going up. How many of you receive the Adventist Review on a regular basis? So you're in friendly territory, but it's not unanimous. Well, you know, that means I still have work to do. That's why I come to places like ASI and GYC. I go to camp meetings, continuing to put the word out. This magazine has been and continues to be the center pole of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We want you to come gather here and, and learn what God is going to do with his people. Now, if you wanted ASI members and those in the 3ABN audience to have a takeaway point of view, what would you want us to know or think or have an impression about the Adventist Review? I want you to trust it as a place that you can open up on Sabbath or Friday evening. That's the way I grew up, reading the Adventist Review, little knowing that someday I'd be responsible for the words in those pages. I want you to know that when you come away from these pages, your faith is going to be built. That's been my story. So many times as I've gone back in the archives of this magazine, I get the privilege to see what God has done through the pages of this journal. Hundreds of thousands of people have been won to faith and strengthened in their faith by what God has put in the pages of this magazine. It began with a prophetic vision. I think we're still following that vision of sending light, like streams of light around the world. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you. Just a few minutes ago, you heard the beautiful rendition from a a Wayne Atwood. You know, eight years ago, Wayne decided to pull up stakes from the United States and go to a foreign country. When he moved to this foreign country, he realized that there was something missing in his life. There was no ASI family. And he began to dream and pray and wish and hope that he could interact with ASI family on a day-to-day basis in this foreign country. Well, two years ago, something happened. A series of events took place that would change everything and bring to fruition his dream. Wayne, tell us about it. Well, I'm very excited to share this with you this evening because, as Ramon said, it's true that I found it a little bit difficult to be where there weren't very many Adventists and where there wasn't a thriving group like ASI. 
And so it took a while to kind of, you know, adjust to um, the move and to a different culture because I live in Quebec, Canada, so it's French-speaking. So first of all, I had a language to learn, and then second of all, a, a few cultural things to learn as well. But about a couple of years ago, the conference president, his name of the Quebec conference, his name is Dragan Stojanovic, and he approached me and he told me about an experience that he had when he was a pastor in Michigan. And that experience had to do with ASI. ASI was involved in an evangelistic project there in his church. And he was so impressed to see the way that lay people work together with the church that he said, we have to have ASI here in Quebec, Canada as well. And that story really touched my heart because I felt here is an individual that the reason he wants ASI is because he's experienced ASI. And those of you that have experienced ASI, you know that that's the thing that we should have everywhere where lay people are working hand in hand with the organized church to be able to share the gospel and work in many different ways. So it took a little bit of time, but we, we worked together, uh, together with the conference president, uh, together with some supporting ministries that are there in Quebec, and together, of course, with business people to try to form a first board in order to really be pioneers to uh, bring ASI to Quebec. But Wayne, you weren't able to spontaneously start the chapter. That's true. ASI is always organized within the umbrella of the church, and we're part of a division, the North American division that covers Quebec. So Wayne got in touch with us once he had his group in place. We came to a strategy session, and once it was clear that uh, you guys were in the spirit of ASI, you had roots, and you were doing what ASI does, we voted as an ASI board to uh, bring you into our fold, but that still wasn't the end. I had to contact Dan Jackson, who was then president of the Canadian Union, and he had to take it to his union board, and they had to approve it, which they did. No one knew, I'm sure he didn't know he would be president of the division, but months ago this year, they approved the uh, organization of the Quebec chapter, and so you are now formally a part of the North American Division ASI. Wayne, you mentioned uh, language challenges. What other challenges do you face up there? Well, you know, there are a lot of challenges, and one of the challenges that we face is just how small the church is in Quebec. Uh, there are less than 3,000 members in the whole province, and uh, there are about 8 million people that live in the country of Quebec. And, you know, we can look at it from the side that, oh, there aren't very many, but I choose to look at it the, at, from the side that ASI is going to have such an impact in Quebec because everybody knows each other. And once they catch the vision of what ASI is all about, I believe that it's going to really change the church in Quebec in, in a way that will really get lay people involved and on fire to do something. And so that's what I'm really excited about is to see how people are getting on board and they're wanting to see this thing develop and I know it's going to be a positive experience. So it's on fire in Quebec. What about the rest of Canada? What, what's your dreams, your vision for the rest of Canada? Well, of course, as you mentioned, um, it is for Quebec and so we're going to be French speaking in, in the chapter that we're developing. Of course, we'll also provide English translation, but it's primarily for the French. And so the English people need something too. It's Amen. unusual that the French people start things. Usually it's the English people that start things. But the French people, uh, the English people need things as well. So my encouragement to any of you that are Canadian members or any of you that are interested in becoming Canadian members to get organized as well. There's plenty of room for everybody. Canada is so vast. 
It's much larger than the United States, but the population is so small that it makes a lot more sense, and the ASI board agreed that it makes a lot more sense to organize by sector in order to more efficiently work together and collaborate. But we want to communicate all together, so I encourage those of you that are Canadian, let's get organized and let's do something. And so that means likely a chapter west of the Rockies, somewhere in British Columbia, a chapter somewhere perhaps in Ontario, and uh, we're open to it. We want it to happen. Historically, there was an Eastern and a Western chapter in Canada, so it is time to revive them. Now, Wayne, I understand that you're involved with the ministry also. Tell us about it. Well, Sabbath, you're going to be talking about it, right? That's right. Can you give a little preview of what you're going to be talking about? Well, we're involved in a media ministry. It's called Better Living, and that's true. On Sabbath afternoon, we'll be talking about it, so be sure to come back and hear it. But we believe that media is one way to reach this very secular people. We're going to share with you all the things that we're doing to try to reach non-Adventists for Jesus. So come back. Amen. Thank you. Hello, ASI. I love this part of the program. We have some wonderful stories here. I have with me Myring and Juanita, and they are from Riverside, uh, Riverside Farms Institute. And That's Myring, great. tell me about yourselves and where you're from and a little bit about what you're doing. Uh, my wife and I are from Riverside Farm Institute, as you said, from Zambia, and uh, we've been working there for nine years now. And Riverside is a supportive ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a member of OCI, Outpost Centers International. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay, Juanita. Now, you have an evangelism department, is that right? That's quite correct. So what does that entail? We are the coordinators for the evangelism department for Riverside Farm. We work in Zambia and in the countries around where we go. We do some teaching of some lay people. We teach them evangelism. We teach them health. At the same time, we do evangelistic series. We also have um, global Bible workers um, that we work with at Riverside. We have about 120 of those at Riverside that work with Riverside currently, but only 65 of those are actually donor paid. The others work sacrificially, but they do give reports to us. Wow. Wow. That's exciting. So now how do these pioneers uh, reach people of Africa? What are they doing? We realize the role that uh, the lay people have to play in these last days, you know, to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the people. And we use these lay workers. We train them. We send them out to the furthest parts of Zambia and even across the borders of Zambia. And they really go to places where you and I cannot go. They understand the language, they understand the culture, and uh, so we work together with them. Actually, we see ourselves as a team. My wife and I visit them um, for months out of the year, sleep in a tent, we visit them, eat with them, sleep with them, uh, encourage them to do the work. And we, we use a specific method, and I want to speak about that tonight, um, and that is using literature in a very powerful way. Um, we found that, that literature works very efficiently within Zambia. In Africa, there's a hunger for spiritual things. So if people are hungry, we want to feed them. And especially, I want to mention uh, Lightbearers Ministry and even Remnant Publishers that have given us a lot of material. And specifically, 
um, Light Bearers have given us Bible lessons, which we call the Voice of Prophecy lessons, and we use those lessons to increase the Bible studies with these uh, pioneers within the field as we train them. So they come once in a year in January. We give a seminar to them. We train them. We tell them what to do. We work as a team. We make a plan for the year, and then they go out to every single part that we can think of. They go to marketplaces, they go to hospitals, they go to schools, uh, they go to prisons. We have a pioneer that is only working in prisons. He goes into the prisons, he has full authority to go into any of the state prisons, and he goes in doing um, these Bible lessons with the prisoners, and then I have our full evangelistic you know, meeting with them inside the prisons. And we find that we have increased not just the number of baptisms, but also the number of um, Bible studies that one person can give. And through this training, the, the pioneers actually train others also to be involved in this. And we have found that at the moment, they, we have about 3,000 to 4,000 baptisms in a year, and more than 20,000 people are studying. Um, these Bible lessons. So Amen. God has helped us to increase, not just the one-on-one, -on -one, but people can just find these lessons, study them, and they are ready for baptism. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? So can you tell me a story about one of these pioneers, a testimony story? Yes, I can do that. One of our pioneers was sitting in his office one day, and he was busy working when he looked up and a madman walked into his office. And he politely just sat down, and the pioneer didn't know how to get rid of this man. And he wanted to give him money because he thought, well, maybe if I give the man money, he would leave. The man refused the money, looked around the office, and saw a stack of Bible lessons lying there. And he said he wants these. The pioneer wanted to just get rid of him, so he said, fine, take it and go. The man walked down the street, and he saw a lady on the other side, crossed over the road, and he went to her, and he gave her the whole stack of lessons. She didn't know what to do with a madman, so she just took the lessons to get rid of him. She walked down the road, and she saw that there was a telephone number for the pioneer written behind, and planning to give him the lessons later, she started looking at them and getting really interested in some of the titles. She went through all 26 studies, contacted the pioneer, and said she's ready for baptism. Wow, that is incredible. Well, you must have an incredible budget to sponsor and to work with all these people. What does it cost to sponsor a pioneer? It's about $80 in a month to sponsor a pioneer. 80 a month? Yeah. Wow. They live from very little. You know, sometimes we, we eat with them and you get a bowl of rice for breakfast. That's what you get. So that's what they live on. That is, that is incredible. Well, thanks so much for, for your time. Did you have anything else that you want to add? Thank you very much for the time that we could share with you. And Thank we you. We want to invite people to come to the booth and, get, and share get with to us. Know, get to well. know these people. They're in the exhibit hall and you'll get to be able to uh, know them a little bit and ask them some tough questions, okay? All right, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. Now, I have a, a special, special friend here that I want you to meet. And these, these folks are very dear to my heart. 
Rarely will you meet someone with so much joy in the Lord. And this is Jeffrey and Martha Giggy, and they're here from, from Kenya. And Jeffrey, tell me something. Have, have you always been blind? Uh, I was, when I was a child, I could see very perfectly. I was born as an Anglican and raised up as an Anglican. And when I was a youth, I got this message of the Adventist, and I was on fire. I wanted to make sure that everybody has known this message. And I continued doing Bible study, house to house, and I was so amazed that God could save Saul using me just a new believer, and I developed that anxiety of preaching. I started even preaching in the street, and uh, many people started coming to listen to the message, and many people, after every session, I could call a call out, and people could come out, and I could uh, introduce them to a nearby church in Nairobi, and they were baptized. And at this time, I had been diagnosed with a retina problem, and the doctor told me that I'm going to be blind. But I didn't take it, and I knew I was preaching about the living God, and I knew that he could reverse this, or he could help me not to continue being worse. But eventually, unfortunately, I started experiencing that I could not read the Bible. I was very angry with God. I was very bitter, but I was inspired because, you know, every time you fight with God, you are, loose, you are fighting a losing battle. <laughs> God warned me, and I accepted my faith. I had a lot of questions which had no answer. If I get blind and I am just a young man, will I cease from preaching? Oh, where will I ever get a wife to marry? You know, in Africa, when you are blind, you are condemned to be in the street begging uh, money. So I knew this was the end of my life, but the good Lord inspired me because he's the one who knows better than I. Paul inspired me in Romans 8, verse 28, when he said, all things to those who fear the Lord work for good. I could not comprehend this, and I could not know how blindness could be of any good. But when I accepted this message, when I accept, accepted the reality, the good Lord started healing my heart. He started binding my wounds, and, you know, he started performing great miracle. That's the great question I was asking. Where will I get a wife? She gave me this wonderful lady here. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. So... So, Jeffrey, what, what happened? What happened next? What happened, and how, how did your life turn around for the good? The, my life turned around for good because I was thinking that was the end of my preaching. But after the good Lord gave me this beautiful wife here, she started helping me to cram and preach through memory. 
and I was back in the street again, preaching, and many people accepted Christ. And thereafter, I can experience the benefit of the good news and how it can transform a hopeless man like me. And I tell you now, I am experiencing a good wife, two children, are learning a ministry by the name Passing the Right Ministry, and I am so excited that I am part of God's work. Amen. Amen. You know, um, Jeffrey turned to me, and he was telling me about when he went blind, how depressed he was, and he turned to me and he said, but who knew that people would flock to hear a blind man preach. And Jeffrey has planted 15 churches and hundreds of people baptized. He's trained Bible workers in Kenya. And, and uh, they've even started another little program. But, but tell me, uh, I'm going to tell you a story because we have just a second here. But do you know, I, during the political unrest in Kenya, they had some real trouble. And I got an email from a lady that was over there telling about the violence and how uh, they were attacked by mobs and their car was beaten and windows were broken out. And over and over, they would drag Jeffrey out of the car and try to make him speak because his dialect would tell them where he was from. And they would have killed him. And the mobs killed a lot of people, these same mobs. And one village after another, God delivered them. And she told me this harrowing story. And I, so I started calling Jeffrey and calling Jeffrey. And finally, I got Jeffrey on the phone. And I said, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, you need to come back to the States. And, and I said, you've had trouble there. He says, oh, the Lord is good. The Lord has blessed Amen. us. And Amen. I, and I said, but you've had trouble, Jeffrey. And he says, the Lord takes care of us. We had a little trouble, but the Lord is good. We baptized 35 more people. And... And I said, but Jeffrey, you should come home until the political unrest settles down. And Jeffrey says, Mark, I'm determined to be spent for the gospel. Amen. And he stayed there and had another evangelistic campaign and baptized more people. Amen. Amen. So um, Jeffrey and Martha have started an orphanage. And... From, there are a lot of orphans from this political unrest and from AIDS there. And so you need to stop by their booth and get to know them a little bit. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you two both so much amen. for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Next I have doctors Chris and Leela Lewis. And they're here to talk to us a little bit. And can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you're up to, what you're doing in your ministry? Yes, thank you, Mark. Um, we are both graduates of Loma Linda University School of Medicine. I'm a general surgeon, and Leela is an OBGYN. Together, we founded Right Arm of Love, which is a nonprofit organization which provides free health screening and free health counseling in Phoenix, Arizona. Also, we're heavily involved in health media, and we've recently founded the Medical and Surgical Health and Healing Institute. Since our ministry's origination in 2003, by God's grace, we've distributed over 200,000 pieces of present truth Generous. literature generously donated by Project Restore. To God's grace, we've provided 20,000 individuals with free health screening, and by God's grace, 
provided 15,000 Bible study contacts to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Wow. Amen. Praise God. Can, praise the Lord. Can, can, you, can you tell me, though, how you went from health screening to health media? Well, in 2005, uh, we began uh, doing uh, teaming up with pastors and evangelists and you, combining our health lectures with full-blown evangelistic seminars. The results were absolutely astronomical. The Lord opened amazing doors with Trinity Broadcasting Network, CBS, and NBC, where we were actually filmed for free airtime. In addition to that, the Arizona government gave their full support, as in the executive branch of the Arizona government, as well as multiple evangelical church support. Also, the health lectures opened doors for the television show Practical Living, which is produced by Loma Linda Broadcasting Network. And Practical Living is currently re-aired in Phoenix on Good News Television. That's a local Seventh-day Adventist TV station. Of course, the most exciting results were those seen by those individuals who gave their heart to Jesus. On the screen, you'll see a picture of Mr. Bart Bradley. Mr. Bradley actually became acquainted with Adventism through coming to the Arizona State Fair health booth. He then followed up coming to the the booth, going to a health lecture series, and then an evangelistic series, and praise God, he gave his heart to Jesus. He's just one of many people who have given their heart to Jesus through health evangelism. Praise the Lord. And you know, I know the Lord uses lifestyle medicine and lifestyle care, but you're both acute care providers. Can, can the Lord use that to lead people to Jesus? Absolutely, Mark. On the screen, you'll also see a picture of Mrs. Antoinette Venegas. She was a patient of mine when I was at Loma Linda. Antoinette had something called a placenta percreta, which is where essentially the placenta acts like a cancer. It grows through the lining of the uterus. It goes out into the bowel, the bladder, and even the blood vessels. And as you can imagine, it's a life-threatening emergency because the patients can bleed to death. As such, we plan ahead. We plan for a cesarean hysterectomy, which is where you deliver the baby by C-section, and then you immediately follow it up by taking out the uterus. These patients are often admitted to the hospital for months on end, even. And this is exactly what happened to, to Antoinette. We were watching her very carefully during this period of time. She was not the least bit interested in anything spiritual. And then a, the dreaded day arrived, and she started bleeding. We were racing her down to the operating room, and on the way down there, everyone was crying. The nurses, Antoinette, I clasped her hands and I said, Antoinette, can I pray with you, please? And she agreed. I specifically prayed, dear Jesus, please guide our hands as surgeons, and also please bring her through this very, very dangerous operation safely. We proceeded with the C-section and delivered a very healthy baby boy and then proceeded with the hysterectomy or taking out the uterus and we noted the placenta had gone into the pelvic sidewalls and everything was bleeding profusely. There was nothing we could do to stop it. Finally, the anesthesiologist leaned over the curtain and said something that a surgeon never wants to hear. He said, you need to start chest compressions now. I said, oh, you've got to be kidding me, of which he said, no. At this point, I start crying out to the Lord aloud. I had previously been crying, you know, speaking to him silently in my mind. And now I'm like, Lord, please help, please help, as 30-some people are running around the room and all chaos is breaking loose. We called for something called a code black, which is where we accept all uncross-matched blood in the entire hospital. This is at Loma Linda University. 78 units of packed red blood cells, 54 units of fresh frozen plasma, and 38 units of platelets later. By God's grace, he miraculously saved her. He brought her through oh, that man. operation. And by God's grace, as soon as the operation was over and she was recovered, I went to her bed. I said, Antoinette, Jesus brought you through that operation. He has a special plan for you. 
Jesus has a plan for you. When she was discharged from the hospital, I sent her home with a magazine on the Sabbath and one that describes what happens when we die. And I am so happy to tell you today, by God's grace, she and her husband both have given their heart to Jesus and were baptized. Amen. Amen. God be praised. God be praised. Praise the Lord. Well, I, I understand you have a plan to blend lifestyle medicine with acute care. Can you tell me about that briefly? Yes, we believe that these two are just completely intertwined. There are so many situations where, like a patient I had, we'll call him John, he had severe Crohn's, and after I performed his surgery for his complicated Crohn's disease, I was able to share with him God's lifestyle plan for him, and today he is symptom-free from his Crohn's. He's off all of his Crohn's medications, so praise God for that. That's why we're planning to start a Seventh-day Adventist hospital combined with lifestyle center on the outskirts of phoenix arizona wow yes well i know it's it's uh often difficult to uh sustain lifestyle centers how do you plan to overcome this the holy spirit impressed us to start the medical and surgical health and healing institute the acronym is actually M-S-H-H-I-N, pronounced mission, as in the great gospel commission to use Jesus' three angels' messages, using his health message to turn those people to his three angels' messages and, and a life with Jesus. What the physicians at the mission entail, they accept a reduced, significantly reduced salary. Those saved salaries goes into a trust fund at the Arizona conference, and then those salaries are then utilized to purchase the land, the building, and then self-sustain the institution in its entirety, both the lifestyle center and the acute care setting. The Lord has provided amazing opportunities because we feel this is the Holy Spirit's leading. We actually have an appointment to meet with the governor of the state of Arizona in the next couple of months to discuss these issues, as well as we'll be refilming with Trinity Broadcasting Network starting August 27. Wow. Have you seen any evangelistic success from these new efforts? Well, we've just opened our doors for our medical practice, but already we're already seeing God producing fruit. We sent out 37,000 flyers to the surrounding homes, and we've had a number of calls of people that want to come to our practice simply because they recognize something different about our practice. In addition, several have come or have scheduled appointments specifically because we are a Seventh-day Adventist practice, and many of them are non-Adventist. We're really, really happy that the Lord is allowing us to participate in with Him as we attempt to spread his three angels' messages to the world. We solicit your prayers, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to follow Jesus' leading, and I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Amen. Amen. But get to know these young people at the exhibits. I appreciate it. God bless. I am pleased tonight to introduce to you my dear friend Ruben Diaz, and he's from Portugal. And I had the privilege of meeting Ruben our first time in, uh, at this ASI convention in 2007. And Ruben, you asked uh, Don and I to come over and help set up an ASI chapter in Portugal in 2008. And so Don and I went and got in a car with Ruben, and we took a three-hour drive. And it was one of those what I call, Henry Martin would call a divine appointment. Because at that time, Ruben, you asked us how ASI had changed our life. And we told you our family story about how ASI has changed our, our life and our family and given us what we have today and the joys that we have of service. And what happened when we talked? Well, you touched our heart because actually we wanted to experience that. We came to ASI before, we heard stories, and we thought this has to 
happen in our lives. So when you told about this, and specifically about the DVD program, mm -hmm. I was touched. And I remember that I asked you, Denzel, we want to do something like this. So you did it before. Tell me how to do it and find me a place. Right? And I asked you what country you wanted to go to. And I remember I said, you know, I don't care about the country. Okay. Just uh, let's think about it. Let's pray about it. And whatever comes up, uh, we just go. Okay. And I told you that I needed to think and pray about this. For, and I said, give me a couple of weeks. What just so happened, he took us to this fantastic vegetarian restaurant, and just as we sat down, I got a phone call, and it was from Pastor Mark Finley, and he said, Denzel, I just got back from Cuba, and you can't believe the exciting things that's going on in Cuba right now. We need to get down there and get involved in doing DVD training and training the lay people to be involved in evangelism. That's right. And I, I says, I think I know just the person. I'll, to, I'll let you know. And I hung up the phone, and I told you about it. Yeah, that was about, what, you were in the phone about 10 minutes? Yes. You came back, and you told me, listen, I have the country for you. <laughs> and I asked you, what is the country? That, that quick, what yes. country is it, right? And I said, Cuba. And I said, oh, that's good, because I have been there before. I know the language. My parents were missionaries in South America, and I learned Spanish. And I said, let's go. Right? Yeah, and I thought it was even better because you live in Portugal. In America, we have a tough time getting into Cuba. That's right. So as you said, it was a divine appointment, and both of us were really shocked by a, so as a, a quick of we an were. answer. We were. It was just amazing. And so what happened after well, that? Well, we went together. Actually, we went together with That's another right. about eight members of mm -hmm. ASI, mm -hmm. and that was in 2009. It was a fabulous experience. We actually took Ramon our uh, ex-executive secretary and uh, Ray, Ray Hamblin, Harold, and uh, several other people. And it Dwight, was yes, Dwight yes. Hildebrandt went, and we went, and what did we do? Well, we were a great team, blessed by the Lord, and what happened was tremendous. It was the first time that I experienced that in my life. Again, I saw it before with other people, but then I experienced myself. We went there, and it was scheduled to be trained 1,000 people, 1,000 members. And you know what? 1,000 showed up. Exactly. Nobody missed. So 1,000 were trained and equipped in that 2009. And I think we have some pictures to see on that, yes, don't we? Yes, we do. We can bring up some pictures. It's amazing how people react in Cuba to having the opportunity to share the message. And what was exciting to see is the, the faces of people when they realized they can do more to tell others about you. Look at the face of this lady right This here. is an example. When you hand them the equipment and after the training, they're so amazed. You know, initially they were frightened. They think they can't do it. But at the end, they're so involved with the Holy Spirit that they just want to go right away and do it. Okay, and then you went and what happened after that? You went and did it again? Well, I call this uh, the chain reaction because, you know, I was impacted by somebody else, by you, Denzel. You were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and others inspired you. And, you know, and then we went again in 2010, this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we did another 1,000 with uh, pretty much the same uh, team. We had uh, another dear friend from Portugal, Carlos, also um, uh, Randy Bevins, who is here, and other friends. So we made a, another team, and we did another 800 families. And more than that showed up, so there we had about 2,000 families now trained in Cuba. Now, Ruben, I know that you could tell stories all night long to our ASI yes. family. Tell us one quick story. You know, one thing that was really shocking was that in this training, when I was giving the training at the end, 
the local pastor came to me, actually the, uh, the, response, the person responsible for the personal ministries, he came to me and said, listen, we have a surprise. Are you prepared for the surprise? Um, there's one person right now that he's prepared for baptism. He has gone through the studies, and he wants to be baptized right now. Yeah, what do you think about it? I said, sure, let's do it. So, and this person, particular person, was a pastor of another domination. And, you know, what was incredible, what happened afterwards was that he was baptized. And I had this blessing, this incredible opportunity that I hand over to him his DVD player for him to do the work afterwards. Amen. So let me get this straight. A layman gave him and led him to the Lord down in Cuba. A layman from Portugal gave him equipment to use so that this pastor can now teach the Adventist message to other people in Cuba. Yes, and that's, you know, that we have reports. Actually, I received an email uh, two days ago that another pastor of another denomination also happened the same thing. And specifically, what happened was that five of his congregations have now been baptized in the Adventist church. Amen. So more than 200 people already have accepted the message. But it didn't stop there, did it? Because we have some more pictures to show you from what happened Really quickly. You know, this didn't stop here. We came back to Portugal, and we thought, this has to happen in Portugal also. So right now in Portugal, we did the same training process, again, the chain reaction, and we have 480 families that were trained and they're ready, and they run their own small groups. Amen. But then, not only did that happen, what did you decide to do personally? Well, myself and Carlos, we are officers of ASI in Portugal. We thought, listen, we cannot talk about it if we don't do it. So this was a big challenge for us. So we decided to set up our own group. We have a photo here. And, you know, we didn't have any visits, any visitors initially. So we prayed about it. We just started our two families. And what happened afterwards, tremendous. Because now we have eight visitors attending our small group. So we are a total of 25 people of four different families running the small group. ASI family, did you hear that? Now, you understand that the DVD program is something that you have generously given to and has now had an impact. Not only does it have an impact here in North America, it has a huge impact in Cuba. It has a huge impact around the world. And with your offerings and your financial support, you've been able to help this grow. And millions of people have heard our message through this program. And it is just exciting to be a part of it. And you'll be able to play another part of that in our offering this coming this Sabbath. So thank you very much. If you've never been to an ASI convention, it's hard to imagine the energy that you pick up when you come there. Once you get here, it's amazing. I mean, there's the Christian atmosphere. Being here opens your eyes to see how a lot of people are working around the world. Everybody that's here is just, they love the Lord with all their heart. There's so many people of like passion, with a sense of mission. What I like about the ASI convention is my interaction with friends, people I get to see. It's just a wonderful time to come and share your love and your faith in God. It's exciting to be here because of all the networking that happens. has always been a really great experience for me because I'm always challenged spiritually. It's a lot of fun to meet old friends and make new friends. You're just inspired, you're excited, and you just want to run out and do everything at once. 
ASI is all about you being inspired to be a blessing wherever you are, no matter what you're doing. The people that come to an ASI convention share the passion of sharing Christ in the marketplace. And they share that in such a way that you're inspired. One of my favorite parts of a convention is hearing the testimonies. You hear all kinds of people's experience, how they're sharing Christ. We hear stories about what's happening in South America, in Asia, what's happening right here in our own North America. And you find out so many different things. Wow, I never thought about doing something like that. You have meetings all day. We have kids meetings, seminars, evening meetings. ASI conventions are great for young people to go to. The youth programs are really good. We sing, we have awesome speakers, awesome testimonies. And it's just like been a blessing. I'm really enjoying the meetings. At the ASI convention, there are wonderful opportunities for networking. The networking is totally worldwide through our exhibits, contact in the hallway and general meetings because you find out about people and what they're doing all over the world. We've been able to get tips and ideas for how we can be more effective in ministry. It's a way to get inspired and to see that other people are doing what you're doing. You have the opportunity even to sit down and plan together. You meet other people who may have the same business challenges that you have. The working together and the sharing and the benefiting from each other. You see how these godly Christian businessmen are using their business as a platform, as an opportunity to communicate Christ. The exhibit is a big opportunity to see creativity in mission. There are over 200 booths at the ASI convention. The exhibit hall is a great place to walk around and to see ministries and to see what's happening all around the world. The thing that I think is so impressive about the booths is their diversity. Anything that you want to get for ministry or from ministry is in our exhibit hall. If you're interested in health, studying the Bible, archaeology, prophecy, Adventist educational institutions, media ministries, there's something for everybody. Every year at the ASI convention, they take up an offering for different projects. ASI is very selective in the projects that it chooses. Usually there's somewhere between 25 and 30 specific projects that we fund with that offering. And it looks at projects that may not be funded and it enables them to be funded and to move ahead for the Kingdom of God. Some of them are very large projects, some of them are very small. Every offering that we give at an ASI convention is used for projects around the world. I really like that because it gives me a chance to help. And I don't have maybe a lot to give, but I'm a part of something much bigger. Some people may think that attending an ASI convention is too expensive. We all are going to spend our money in one way or the other. You can go to Hawaii or on a cruise and you can spend an awful lot of money. And the question is, what is my choice in how I spend that money? 
the return of ASI is huge because you will change the way that you see mission. How can you measure the life-changing value of attending an ASI convention? But it's worth every penny because not only do you benefit, but your kids benefit. An ASI convention is not a cost, it's an investment. Youth for Jesus is an evangelistic project in the city where the ASI convention is going to be held. The Youth for Jesus program encompasses the idea that young people can be powerful witnesses. And that has been a phenomenal blessing as we watch these kids learning how to share their faith, how to give a Bible study, how to preach a sermon. As a result of that involvement, they are personally and spiritually touched. We're all excited about Jesus, and we all get to, to help out our community at the ASI conventions. It's, it's a wonderful experience. And many of them are giving their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time as a result of participating in this program. After my kids had been involved with the ASI Youth for Jesus program, I noticed that they were much more willing to share their faith. They saw that there was a place for them where they could make a difference. You can't get the benefits at an ASI convention from watching at home. There is something very special about physically coming to our convention and being there and sharing the spirit. And there's something that takes place in that mealtime around those tables with all these friends and, and new friends that you meet. If it's at all possible, I just encourage people to come. There's something about the dynamic. You need to be able to connect and actually feel it and taste it. You have to see the exhibits, you have to talk with people, you have to meet new people. You pick up the commitment, the enthusiasm. It's been a life-changing experience. Sitting at home and watching it is good, but being here is so much better. The ASI convention has given us a reach and a number of friends that we would never have made before. ASI is more than just a bunch of nice people, it's family. If you're a ministry, you can't afford not to be at ASI convention. The exposure that you get to other people, the networking that you do. If I, uh, for example, I didn't attend uh, this convention, I would have never had what I have now. I never would have become involved in evangelism had it not been for ASI conventions. I always tell people, go to an ASI convention. You will be refreshed mentally, spiritually, and physically. Attending a convention like this is for the entire family. ASI really has something for everybody. It's been the best experience in our life. I can't tell you how much ASI means to our family. It's something that you don't want to miss. Powerful video, isn't it? You can get a copy of that at the You can get a copy of that at the desk, at the registration desk, if you'd like to have your own copy to take home with you, to share with your church family, and to inspire other people to become a part of ASI. We want to talk just for a couple of minutes about ASI membership. I'm not sure how many of you know there's several categories of membership in ASI. You can be an organizational member. That means you own your own business and you have at least two employees. That could include yourself 
and you've been in business for at least one year. Or you could be an associate member. You may not own your own business, but you're a professional person in some managerial capacity, and you work for someone else. You can be an associate member of ASI. There's also the associate international category. Possibly you're from a country where there is no ASI presence. You can join ASI North American Division and be a part of this organization as an associate international member. Those are the basic categories of ASI. Our goal is to increase the membership of ASI, not to have it get less, right? We want to tell more people about the blessings of being members of ASI, and you can be a part of telling someone else and inviting someone else to become a member of ASI. Right now at our international convention this year, for those of you who are not members and would like to sign up, you will receive a 50% discount off of your membership. So that gives you an incentive to apply at this convention to sign those papers, get that application in, and you will receive a discount on your first year's membership. So take care of that. Stop by the registration desk and take care of that. When you connect with ASI, there's a couple of things that are going to happen, and you are experiencing those things right now. You are connecting with people who have a burden to share the good news of the gospel around the world. Is that true? Amen. Not only that, you will leave ASI inspired to do something personally. So those are two great benefits for being involved in a member of ASI. Now, I have with me today Lindy and Brian Schwartz. Now, Lindy, how long have you been members of ASI? We've been members of ASI for seven years, although we've attended for probably about ten years, missing two. In your uh, experience, how, what, it, what value do you place on ASI? How does that affect you to attend the ASI convention and be a member of ASI? ASI has been a tremendous blessing in our lives. Um, Ellen White makes a statement in uh, Patriarchs and Prophets. She says that it, is, it would be good at this time for the people of God to have a Feast of Tabernacles where we come together and share the blessings that God has done for us. And as you know, the Feast of Tag Tabernacles is the Feast of Booths. And we have booths here, but there is a <laughs> tremendous blessing that I receive just in sharing with other people, being encouraged by them, going boothing, making friends, seeing all friends, and being connected, like Debbie said in the video, being here is different than watching. You have to feel it and experience it. It's a tremendous blessing. Okay, now, what, what, do you, uh, what do you and your husband do for work? I'm a physician, and my husband is a physician as well. So doctor and doctor. Yes. Okay. Now, Brian, I know that uh, you've been uh, experiencing this as well, and that uh, some pretty amazing things have happened. Some of you may actually recognize Brian because he was featured in the special that was done on PBS, uh, and that was entitled what, Brian? That was The Adventists. Okay. Featured about Adventist healthcare tying our mission to the medical work. Now, it, it, did any of that happen as a result of being involved with ASI? I absolutely think so. Just a few years ago, five, six, seven years ago, I used to see my medical practice as just my job. And I'd go to work every day, I'd maybe go on a mission trip, was involved with Sabbath school, but my practice was a job. And as a result of getting involved with ASI and its other ministries like Amen, 
And in dialoguing with other physicians that were ministry-minded, I began to see that my practice could be so much more than just a business, but a way to actually turn it into a ministry. And it was as a result of praying with patients, with having spiritual conversations, that I was asked to participate in, in that video. Uh, Lindy, what would you say to someone who's thinking about joining ASI? I would say that um, ASI occurs the first uh, Wednesday of August every year. Make time now to come to ASI. Join up. Thank you. Come by and see us at the booth. Get your application. Good evening, ASI. My first guest is Edith Tokic, and uh, you're from right here in Orlando, right? Yeah, I'm here from Central Florida. All right. So you didn't have a, a long commute to get here. <laughs> no, and I, I really appreciate the fact that um, we have the meetings here. Now, <laughs> now, Edith, back in 2002, there was a movie called The Passion of Christ, correct? Yes. And many of you are familiar with that movie and the response that Seventh-day Adventist Church had to it. Your church took the opportunity to order 5,000 books to share. Right. So what happened? Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, we had plans to uh, hand out The Passion of the Ages, 5,000 of them, at a beer festival that is held yearly in Umatilla. And um, we kind of... Uh, uh, went ahead and ordered the books before we made the final arrangements. And as it turns out, after lengthy negotiations, I was told that they will not allow us to hand out any books. They, they will not allow to uh, have any religious material at the Bear Festival. So what did you do with those 5,000 books? Well, at first I panicked. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> then I started praying. I was... Um, walking and praying and driving and praying and, and just constantly praying for wisdom for the Lord to show uh, what we could do with those books. So you took these to a farmer's market. And tell us about that. Well, uh, one of these times when I was praying and asking for wisdom, the Lord kind of impressed me to, uh, to try to hand them out at the farmer's market. And as soon as uh, he did that, uh, we jumped into action and, and rented a spot at our local farmer's market and um, uh, set up a, a table and uh, made banners and signs. And um, uh, we featured the uh, Passion of the Ages book, but we also had some other books along uh, set up and uh, started handing them out. So many of those books that you pass out are directly from ASI. Now, how do you get the people to take the books that, you, that you're trying to give them? Well, what's wonderful about um, uh, witnessing this way is that people come to your table. They are curious. They want to see what you have. Uh, they look at it. They start talking and visiting. And uh, we do not approach anybody. Uh, people come to us, and, and it's their choice uh, to take the material. And because of that, I believe that these books are used uh, more than if we were to, uh, let's say, go uh, door to door and hand them out to everybody. Now, do most people just take one book, or do you have some people that take a lot of books? And what do they do with those books? Um, a lot of book, a lot of people take more than one book, and and uh, usually they read them, 
and then come back and they uh, they look at the table. You can see their eyes just wandering and they, they just point to the different books and they say, I have this one, I read that one, and I'd like to take the other one. Uh, also, uh, and, and they come and they, they eventually end up with a whole collection. Um, we also have people who, um, when they see the books, um, either the first time or returning, they, they ask, you know, could I take another copy of this or that because I would like to send it to you uh, or give it to my daughter or son or, or friend or co-worker. And um, we are not only witnessing to the people who actually come to the table, but they are in, in turn uh, doing the witnessing for us as well. Wow, that's incredible. So you have an individual that's taking these books and sending them overseas. Where are they sending them to? Uh, we had a, a couple. Uh, we have a couple that comes regularly to our table, and they were taking um, quite a few. You know, always a handful of books, sometimes a dozen, and didn't say much. They were just taking them, and then finally one time we started visiting with them, and they shared that what they're doing is they are involved with the. Um, um, AndySoldiers.com um, uh, ministry where they um, sending care packages to the soldiers overseas and they decided to send out books and I'd like to tell you that these people are not Adventists but they liked our material so much that they decided to send our material to the soldiers. Can you say amen? <laughs> That's exciting. Now there was an individual that, that uh, is sharing the books in his library. Tell us about that. Uh, that was on the Street Fest. Uh, we also have other uh, outreach programs, um, a dozen of other things that we do. And, and on the Street Fest, we do pretty much the same thing. And uh, there was one gentleman who came, and again, he did the same thing. He took one or two here and there. And then uh, eventually, we ended up visiting with him as well. And he shared that he was taking the books. To, um, to a library that is in his subdivision, and he was putting the books into, into the library. Now, we have some photos right here of your ministry in action. Um, so you're not only just going to the, the farmer's market, you're also going to, uh, you have your, your pathfinders going to a Christmas fair, yeah, our pathfinders are, are very, uh, very busy in, in witnessing. Uh, we have a fair in Eustis uh, uh, every year, and they set up a booth, and you're going to see a picture in a minute. Uh, and they are personal ministries is is uh, giving them the books, and they hand out the books uh, at at the fair. And they also do Christmas in the park and do the same thing. And we pretty much use every opportunity that we have uh, to share our material. In closing, do you have any words of inspiration for the people here to, to encourage them to do the same thing? Well, uh, I, I feel very strongly that every one of us has a work to do that the Lord has assigned us to do, and uh, we need to pray and ask the Lord for wisdom to show us what, what that is, and we, ask, we need to pray and ask the Lord to uh, give us uh, wisdom and direction in, in actually doing the work. Now, Edith has a website if you'd like to contact her. It's www.hastenhiscoming.com. Thank you, Edith. Thank you. My next guest is Tom Mish. 
Many of you know Tom. He's with Creation Illustrated Magazine. I've known Tom for probably 20 years now, first at Weimar College years ago. Now, Tom has a magazine that has touched my heart personally. I have a cousin that had gone, gone away from the Lord. One day he picked up the magazine Creation Illustrated, and there was an article in there that touched his heart, and he came to Christ from that article. Praise God. Uh, Chip, that's a, that's a direct answer to prayer. You know, we had two prayers when we started this publication. Number one, that it be top quality so that professionals would feel comfortable about sharing it with uh, people in their marketplace. But also, number two, that it cut across denominational lines. And I'm happy to report that in our 18 years, we now have 55% non-Adventist readership. Can you amen. say amen? And um, this is... Can we see a show of hands? How many are familiar with Creation Illustrated? How many sub currently wow. subscribe? And how many are sharing it in your marketplace? That's what I was afraid of. We're, we're going to change that in just a few <laughs> minutes here. Uh, we have a slide to share with you just so you can get a little bit more familiar with Creation Illustrated. And what is it? It's a quarterly publication, and as I say, we've been going for 18 years, and it's in all 50 states and 30 foreign countries. And uh, readers call it the Christian answer to National Geographic, and uh, we'll hold the uh, other slides for just a second. But the Christian answer to National Geographic, and I didn't tell you this before, Chip, but I got my degree in geography from UC Berkeley, real conservative institution on the mm -hmm. West Coast, and I had a dream. <laughs> I had a dream to write for National Geographic. Now, uh, I have to tell you that God had another plan. Amen. And. Um, so we have an obligation to share the first angel's message, not to, and Revelation 14.7 says, worship the creator of heaven and earth, not to prove that he's the creator of heaven right. and earth. And so uh, also the first angel's message is there, and it's sequential. We've got to get the first angel's message right before we go on to the second and third angel's message. Amen? And Amen. I have to say, we've slipped a little bit in that, and we have some work to do. We're suffering, and we want to help uh, as best we can. Now, in the other slides that uh, were up there, the Creation Illustrated uh, in, in nature has the animal features, the outdoor adventures, things like that. Then the scripture section has uh, the Creation Week one day at a time, a little bit deeper into the creation story. Then in the living section, you'll find gardening features, getting people outdoors, helping kids unplug, a youth photo contest, and a favorite among the women, Genesis Cuisine Recipes, all <laughs> vegan. And so um, Genesis 129 is where you'll find the source for that. And so uh, it's, it's really been a blessing to see how it's working. And this is really Christ's method of reaching the masses is through the things he made. And we, Tom, is this approach working? It, re it really is working, Chip. Uh, as we read in Hebrews, without a parable spake he not unto, unto him. And I'll just share with you a couple of brief letters to show you that it is working. Uh, somebody from Madagascar, Raphael Picard, says that uh, thank you for your good magazine. It's a blessing to us. We use some articles as sermons in our ministry and our missionary programs in the village. It is wonderful. Then uh, a woman in Southern California writes, five years, we have been enjoying your publication. When our granddaughter asks her little two-year-old, 
What shall we read today? She runs and gets Creation Illustrated. All right. Now, an elder, elderly person in England, my elder, elderly parents have enjoyed Creation Illustrated for some time. Your purpose is not so much to prove as praise. Your objective in selecting content is more devotional. Thank you for this different approach to sharing creation. So uh, yes, it is working, and I have to say that partnering with uh, the North American Division Education Department, we raise uh, about $95,000 a year to send uh, 6,000 subscriptions to every Adventist teacher in school in Amen. North America. And um, Larry Blackmer writes, uh, creation is becoming a large issue in the church, and uh, here is a proactive step you can take in promoting the Adventist view. And one teacher writes, we have already used it in staff worship and expect to use it in student worships and science classes. So is evolution creeping into the church at all? It, it really is. You know, we have a, a real challenge here, and uh, we need to show our young people that we are the greatest evidence of a creator. You know, we have uh, creation science in the publication, but uh, we need to show that God is still the creator. He can create in us a new heart, and he's going to recreate this earth, and he's not going to take billions of years to do it. Amen? Amen. And so we... Um, uh, have to share this uh, opportunity with people, and uh, this isn't just show and tell. On my last slide here, we're going to show you uh, what this pen of inspiration tells us. And it says that we need to be, uh, that this is the most effective way to reach non-believers who know not God is through his works. In this way, far more than any other method, she doesn't just say that it's a good method or one method. It's far better than any other method they can made to be made to worship the true God, the maker of heaven and earth. So uh, we have an obligation to share the first angel's message in this church, and we need to uh, work together to purge the apostasy out of our schools and our churches. And uh, if, if pantheism and Kellogg were the first, uh, the alpha apostrophe, evolution creeping into our church and our schools is the omega apostasy. So uh, we do need to fight back and um, we need to uh, join and work together. Some of our goals are to uh, create a DVD and have a six-day conversion program, a six-day conversion program. One pastor said to me, if it took the Lord six days to create the earth, why should it take us 28 days to make an Adventist? Amen. So we want to work together with people who believe in the creation message and have a six-day conversion program, a DVD that can go all over the world. So uh, if you want to uh, help with that, see me. Go on our website, creationillustrator.com, and uh, we can work together. Now, uh, we want to see a conviction of people, and if, if you uh, don't contact me, I'll contact you. And if you say times are tough, I'll say time is short. If you say I can't afford it, I say we can't afford not to. If you say maybe later, I said I'll tell you that it's never been this late before, as my friend Herb Douglas says. It's never been this late before, friends. And if you have too many projects you're involved in, you're going to be called to be involved in one more. Thank uh, you, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. My next guest is Ed Williams. Ed, where are you from? 
Silver Spring, Maryland. Now, Ed, have you always been a Seventh-day Adventist? No. I started off a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, during my teen years, I made some very poor choices, and I drifted away. Okay. How long were you gone? Forty-two years. Forty-two years. Wow. So what brought you back? What's your testimony? Well, I'll fast forward from then to 1992. 1992, my youngest sister was diagnosed with mesothelioma, asbestos-related cancer. Um, she had a lung taken out, heavy chemotherapy, heavy um, radiation, but she made it through. About three years later, her husband went through his midlife crisis, and they were gone. He was gone for almost five years. During that period of time. Uh, Charlotte's job was eliminated because the company she worked for was sold. Uh, she was in poor health. She was alone. So my wife and I, who had been through divorces, knew what it was like to be lonesome, so we decided we would take her under our wing. Little did we know that God was putting us under her wing. Wow. We would have dinner once a week. We vacationed together. She never complained. She was just a good Adventist Christian. Well, about five years later, uh, her husband came back and, and asked to be uh, reinstated, and she accepted. I thought it was a bad idea, but it worked. Well, in 2003, the cancer came back. A week and a half after it was diagnosed, she was gone. Wow. That just rocked us. All during that period of time, my wife kept on saying, you know, I'd like to be more like Charlotte. I'd like to be more like Charlotte. Well, after she was gone, Carol says, you know, we should go to church. And I said, well, if we do, there's only one we're going to. Amen. <laughs> and she said, why? I said, it's the only one that just preaches the Adventist, I mean, the real truth of the Bible. So we started going to church, and um, she went into Bible studies because she was never an Adventist. And that's when I knew I was in deep trouble, because although I had given up cigarettes back in 87, I was a heavy drinker. I was drinking between 40 and 50 drinks a week. That's quite a bit. And I knew that I was not going to be able to stop this on my own. So I was praying about it. The day that the pastor uh, left on the final Bible study, I said, well, are we going to do this? She said, yes. So I took the 25 of a 30-pack, and I gave it away at the campground. I should have thrown it away, but I didn't. <laughs> and, um, you know, the good Lord took it from me, and I haven't even had the urge since that day. Wow. So this, so this must have, have triggered an idea in your mind that you could have a special ministry for people just like you. Well, I knew that, that the Lord wanted me to do something. I didn't know what it was yet. So I started studying and trying to catch up over those 42 years of, of not being in the, in the truth. And then it dawned on me, who better to go after those that had drifted away but somebody that had been there. That's right. So we started uh, developing our ministry at that time. Okay. So what is that ministry? What are you doing now? We have FARM, which is Former Adventist Recovery Ministries. We uh, have developed a program that we go out to the churches and try to generate interest in reclaiming their people, giving them a, a study on um, the prodigal son's brother to prepare them for the right attitude for reclaiming, 
We provide information on how to and what not to do. Like, uh, did any of you stop and think that the one time you don't want to go and, and do that is on Sabbath afternoon? Mm -hmm. Because if you catch them in doing something that they shouldn't be doing, that's a gotcha. And it's going to cause resentment any other time. And we're, we try to answer the questions on what to do and what not to do, to go in love, take the material, and so forth. And um, we also asked every one of them to write down the names and addresses of everybody that they know that has dropped away from the church. Because even though I'm located in Silver Spring, if I get the name in California, I'll call a pastor that lives close to there. I'll ship him materials with instructions and so forth to help him and let him take the materials to them, saying that it's from former Adventist Recovery Ministry, somebody that truly loves them, has put them in contact with us, they want you back. God wants you back. Wow. Now, something I want to mention about Ed is this isn't a full-time job for him. He actually has a company. It's a home inspection company. So this is the ASI model right here, members in action, working in their marketplace. And hopefully you can take this to a full-time where this is all you do because we, know, we all know. And let's see, have a raise of hand. Do you know anybody that you went to school with, a family member? Do you know anybody that's left the church? Wow, look at that. Every hand is raised. <laughs> in the Washington, Baltimore area where I live, it's estimated between 100 and 150,000. If you extrapolate that out to the nationwide, it's got to be well over a million. It's a big job. We need your help. Okay, so what tools do you have that we can tell them about right now that they can go to? If you stop by our, our uh, booth at 629, I can show you what we have to offer, uh, the materials and so forth. And if you want to do it at your church, we'll get you the materials. Just let us know. Okay, so this man is, is coming to you. He has a booth here. He has a solution. You have a problem. We all have this problem. We need to bring our friends and family back to the church, back to God. And so I, I really want you to go and visit with this man at booth 629, Ed Williams. And you also have a website. And for those of you on television, you might want to write this down and go visit it www.adventistfarm.com. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. And we need your prayers most of all. Good evening. I would like for you to meet my friends, uh, Pastor Jay Lowell and Panya Bang Lo. We are so happy to be here to share with you the amazing way God is leading the Lo family. Can you tell us where are you from? We are from Laos, but we are Hmong from the mountain of Laos. So you are Hmong from the mountains of Laos. Yes. How many of you have ever heard of Hmong people? Can you raise your hand? Oh, quite a few. Truly, these are unreached people. Can you tell us more about the Hmong people? Well, the Hmong people originally from southern China, the southern province of China, are Hmong country. But um, 
in the early 19, uh, 1900s or 19th century, the Chinese took over the Hmong country, so they migrated to southern China, to Laos, Vietnam, um, Thailand, Burma. And during 1975, after the Vietnam War, the Hmong migrated again to the United States, Canada, Australia, French, um, Germany, um, New Zealand, Argentina, French Guyana. What religion are the Hmong people? Um, the Hmong believe ancestor worship, um, and animism, and Buddhism. And so you grew up in a Hmong village, and your family was what religion? My family believed the ancestor and the animism. Can you tell us how you became a Christian? Well, after the Vietnam War, we uh, became a refugee, and I came to the refugee camp in Thailand, and where the, the refugee was divided, by, uh, divided into two sections. One section is the non-Christian, and the other is a Christian. So I saw the, um, the love of God pulling from all the Christians around the world to the Christian side. And one day, my cousin uh, invited me to stay with them. So they teach me some Bible, um, him singing song. And then they also helped me to find sponsor to sponsor a Christian family to sponsor me to come to this country. So we don't have time to share all the wonderful, interesting story tonight, but you can come by the ASAP exhibit and hear more from Pastor Jay and mm -hmm. Mrs. Panya, and they will tell you more of their story. Mm -hmm. uh, let's fast forward to uh, the United States when they were mm -hmm. both had come to the United States, and um, fast forward to when Pastor Jay was a seminary teacher at the Lutheran Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. He also was pastoring a church among the Hmong people. Uh, during that time, um, there was a lot of problems and persecution. Can you tell us about that? Sure. When Jay decided to become a pastor, we actually uh, were disowned by our family our relatives, our friends, and the Hmong community leaders because we always involved in the community. And they believed that we have betrayed our own people, our own culture, and our own religion. So someone actually drove a, an old car full of gasoline and parked behind our garage and tried to burn our house down. They also wrote many, many, many messages on our garage that you would not want to read. They actually tried to shoot down his professor at the time, was the monk coordinator for the Lutheran Church at that time. And they missed him. They hit him on his shoulder. They actually bombed his garage, but he wasn't home. And... Um, also, every time that we have a mission trip to Southeast Asia, we will have phone calls 
and threats from people that we will not come back if we take these trips. But you know what? God guided us through all this, and he protected all of us through that time because he knew that we were doing his work for him, reaching out to the Hmong people. And you were not discouraged and afraid at that time. (laughs) No, actually our faith grew stronger, and we did not stop. We continued doing God's work, reaching out to the Hmong people. And for 16 years, you served God with the Lutheran Church, did many kinds of missions, training, training students to be missionaries. Mm-hmm. And how is it that you became interested in the Adventist message? Well, one day I um, discovered the, the Sabbath by myself, and then I questioned the um, supervisor why Lutheran doesn't not practice as what we teach and preach by keeping the Sabbath. So he turned around and he said, are you questioning the Senate or our uh, doctrine, church doctrine? Then three months later, I received a letter um, saying that you, we no longer have funds to support your mission and you are now free to leave. You were a seeker for truth, and the Lord says, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will lead you to all truth. And so what happened at that time when you were released from your pastoring job and from your work and teaching at the seminary, what did you do after that? After that, my cousin from Thailand came to visit, and then he said, well, I have a brother-in-law who is a Hmong pastor married to a missionary, also live in the Twin City, Minnesota. I want you to meet. Maybe you can work with him. And then I asked him for, to give me a, uh, his phone number. He gave me his phone number. I called him, and he is a pastor Cole and Terry Sedley. They are the Hmong, past, Hmong Adventist pastor in St. Paul. And that's how I get to know him and get into the Seventh-day Adventist. And he shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of the Sabbath, many things. He gave you books. And then you began translating the Hmong Bible. And why is it important to translate the Hmong Bible? That it, it is important because um, the first couple Hmong Bible that uh, it's out there right now. It's translated from the Living Bible and the, the Word of God. And it's very, um, it's a paraphrase and not accurate. So after um, learning Greek and Hebrew and many um, other languages, um, I decided that God's calling me to translate the Bible into the Hmong um, according to the original language. And what have you been doing for the past year? Well, past year I was sponsored by Minnesota Conference to study at Andrews um, Seminary. And I was, at the same time, I also translate the Bible into the Hmong language um, as a part-time. What is your vision for God's work in the future? Our vision is to share the gospel the true gospel to all the Hmong people around the world and to um, continue to 
translate the Bible until it is uh, finished and, and then um, become a missionary to serve the Hmong people around the world. And Panya, do you support him in this vision? Absolutely. I always supported him. Uh, God had planted this seed in our hearts even before we were married. And we have always been partner in serving God, winning soul, especially the Hmong soul for God's kingdom. I will always support him. With God's grace and willing, um, I pray that we will continue to do that. Um, but, you know, we don't have all the resources to do that, and we don't have the funding to do that. And so I ask that you pray for us and pray with us that God would touch people's heart to support us with any resources, financial or what have you, so that we can continue to translate this Bible, Hmong Bible, and share it to the 15 million Hmong around the world. And also that please pray that God will touch people's heart and find a sponsor for Jay to continue his Greek and Hebrew at Andrew University so that he can understand the Bible more from his original language and able to translate it more accurately into the Hmong language. Um, some, of the, some of the teachers at Andrews University have encouraged him to continue studying, but yes. ASAP is committed to um, pray for them and, and do everything possible to, to help them to continue reaching the Hmong people throughout the world with the everlasting gospel. And we solicit your prayers. God bless you. Thank you. ASI family, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Joe Cerigliano. Joe trained to be a physical therapist. He would probably be an ASI member today if he continued that career and followed it into uh, its maturity. We have lots of medical people here. But Joe has become a Seventh-day Adventist minister specializing in mentoring people to witness effectively. So Joe, I don't want to waste your time asking questions, but I want to ask you one favor. Tell us the story of how ordinary people, small people, can do wonderful things when they have a big God. Amen. Thank you very much. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, 11, that the word of the Lord will never return back void. Do you believe that? I think we've heard a lot of stories tonight of how the efforts of little people, regular people like you and I, can make a difference to change lives. Now, I'm a paid professional, pastor, and evangelist, but I want to tell you the story of how my family received the Advent hope. Way back in the 1970s in New York City, a lot of very strange things were happening, and people started to leave New York City and move to the suburbs. And my family moved to Long Island, and when they were out there, my uncle Tony was a mailman. Now, when you're born in an Italian family, they flip a coin. A head's your Tony and tail's your Joe. I got Joe. Uh, and uh, with a name like Joe Serigliano, when people see me, they often think I'm in the mafia, and I've been asked that many times. But I tell people, I don't work for the Godfather. I work for God the Father. 
But in the 1970s, my Uncle Tony was a mailman who was working his route one day, and a local church secretary named Sandy Newman was mailing out a magazine called These Times, Now Signs of the Times. And it came across my uncle's mail route. Now, if you ever wonder if the mailman reads your mail, he does. <laughs> and my uncle read that magazine and began to learn even more. He'd been studying with my Aunt Marianne for quite a while, and the Lord grabbed a hold of him, changed his life. Now, word had gotten around to the family that my Uncle Tony had become a seven-day adventurer. No one had ever really heard of that before, and a little bit of worry and concern. And so uh, my mother uh, decided to go and study with them. She had been searching and seeking for the Lord, and uh, they had a Bible study one night, and she brought over a pepperoni pizza. And it's while my uncle picked the pepperoni off the pizza that their Bible study continued to move even further. And my Aunt Marianne says she was shocked a few weeks later when my mother called and said, Can I go to church with you? next Sabbath. And things changed, and things happened. Before long, my uncle, just in time to share the good news with my mother, my uncle went to Southern College, became an Adventist pastor. My mother became a literature evangelist who went and worked to put my sister and I through Adventist school. And as a part-time mother, she was the second-selling literature evangelist in the Atlantic Union as a young boy. Thousands of lives were changed because of my uncle's ministry and his training. Many of you have heard of his Gospel Workers program or some of his Good News Bible study series and my, my mother I told you about. But for the last 16 years, I've been serving the Seventh-day Adventist Church in a variety of positions. Uh, for the last more than a decade, been working in Atlanta, Georgia as pastor and conference evangelist. There, God blessed us to do evangelistic meetings more than three dozen of them plant a few new churches. And every time someone came to the evangelistic meeting, at least half the nights, I would send them Signs of the Times magazine subscription for a year. And at one point, we had quite a few people, dozens of families, hearing the good news. Now, working as an evangelist and a coordinator and a pastor through the years, I've kind of lost count, but I can tell you that through Color Press, uh, that our ministry, we have mailed millions of Bible study cards and handbills to homes. Millions of homes have had the opportunity to hear good news because one local church secretary decided to send a magazine. You know the amazing part? Is that she didn't even mean the magazine for my uncle. She didn't mean the magazine for my mother. She didn't mean the magazine for me, and she didn't mean the magazine for the many of lives that were touched. Friends, I can tell you that if you are willing to do small things for a big God, then he will amaze you. Because we have that promise we can claim, that his word never returns void. It never returns void. And if you've heard it said before that people are not interested, trust me, friends, people are interested in the truth today like never before. This summer, we started our Atlanta Center for Training and Soul Winning, and we had a lot of students staying with us. We partnered with SEYC and with the Southern Union Publishing Megabook Program, and the students went door-to-door -door in the heat. I don't know if you were in general conference, and how many of you were at GC in Atlanta? 
How many of you ever said while you were there, standing outside, that you were cold? Uh, they call it hot Atlanta for a reason. It was hot. But the students walked the streets, and they sold more than $230,000 worth of our message books. More than 20,000 pieces of literature were distributed uh, and sold, and lives were changed. Like the leaves of autumn, our message went out through the publishing program. And people were trained, lay people were trained. There were 15 evangelistic meetings held in Atlanta leading up to the general conference with a four-night reaping event with Pastor Mark Finley at the Georgia World Congress Center. So for many weeks, our church, the Atlanta North Church, was the headquarters for a lot of training of not just professional preachers, not just of professional pastors, but regular people like you and I who were trained to give Bible studies, to hold evangelistic meetings, to preach, to do visitation, and to meet objections and to win people to Jesus. And so, friends, the proof continues that people are willing to hear. The multitudes are in the value of this decision. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. As we saw thousands of lives touched and we saw many lives changed, it came true to me again as I thought about the one local church secretary that did so much. She thought it was little, but little things for a big God changed my destiny forever. And friends, your little efforts for a big God can change many destinies forever. Because of one woman mailing one magazine, millions of lives have been changed. About three years ago, my Uncle Tony passed away. He knows a little bit about what I've done in ministry, what the Lord used, uh, used me to do. But he doesn't know my life's work yet. About ten years ago, that local church secretary passed away. She doesn't know I'm a pastor, an evangelist. She doesn't know about the millions of homes. All she knows is that before she closed her eyes and fell asleep, that she decided to do some small things for a big God. I can't wait to see her. I can't wait to tell her what her little efforts did through a big God and changed my destiny and the destiny of my family forever. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, all of us here today, ASI is about equipping and inspiring the average person to do something, small things for a big God. I praise you, Father, for what you did for my uncle, for my mother, for my family, because of the efforts of one local church secretary. Praise you, Father, for the hope I have in the Adventist message. And thank you for bringing good news to my heart. I pray in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.